0: Well, this morning we are spending our last week in this passage, not the last message in this series, but the last week in this passage that we have been just meditating on and I appreciate the wonderful feedback from folks who have enjoyed sitting in one passage for this long and just absorbing the richness of all that's here uh if, if if nothing else I hope what exercises like this do we don't we don't this is not normal for us we don't take this many weeks to, to be and we've almost been you know one week per word it feels like in this passage but uh, have you noticed as we've walked through this passage uh the depths that are here to be explored When you open the word of God. How much is there for us to ponder and meditate on. And be affected by. So let me just set this passage before us. Again this morning. As we look at one last element. That's contained here. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. Jesus. Looks into our world. He looks into our lives. And he says come to me. All. Who labor and are heavy laden. And I. And I. Will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have observed something that Jesus draws near to us and he doesn't overlook. The reality of what life feels like to us. As a matter of fact, he jumps right into it and, and he relates to us where we are. And he describes things that would be familiar to us. He says, Does your life feel burdened? Do you feel like you're laboring as you walk through life in this world? And he issues this invitation to come to him. Right? So here is The thing we're invited to is to come to him to meet a need that we have in our lives for rest. So whether or not we've ever figured out what's the itch that I'm trying to scratch inside my soul, it's for rest, as we talked about in the last couple of weeks. It's to come to Jesus so that my soul can find this piece of real estate that uniquely supplies something to my soul that nothing else can. There's nowhere else you can go. That your soul will become at home and will receive something that makes it feel whole and at peace in a way that's got joy and meaning. Finally, my right life is in the right place. So Jesus says, come to me and find this rest. And then he, he gives us two practical things to do. And I of you guys know, and you got to be careful about your theology and how you put these sentences together. I just want you to notice, Jesus is going to give something that none of us can purchase. He's going to grant something into our lives that we need, but that we can't earn. But he is going to give us something to do. So please be careful. I know that theologically that can get people upside down. What are we called to do? Well, last week we said we're called to learn from him. And this week we're going to look at what does it mean to take my yoke upon you? So there's something about realizing, experiencing this rest that's been offered to us that involves the taking of a yoke and learning. But what exactly is a yoke? Well, one commentator describes a yoke this way. A yoke can be used literally... For the wooden frame joining two animals, usually oxen, right? You guys would be used to seeing pictures perhaps of this. Two oxen who are walking side by side, plowing a field. And there's a a harness, a wooden harness that sits upon both of their shoulders. And it it teams them together and it unites their force in pulling this plow that's behind them. So there's a burden to be carried and pulled on here. But they're going to be teamed together in doing that. Or it can be used metaphorically to describe one individual's subjection to another. So the same imagery there of an ox comes underneath the yoke. Well, there's a sense that this word also gets used in the original language that someone comes under the authority of another. Sirach, who was a Jewish scribe in the 2nd century B.C., he invited people to the yoke of studying the Torah to gain wisdom. Listen, these are familiar words in Jesus' setting, so you'll pick up on the, the phraseology here of what Jesus was using. Sirach said, Acquire wisdom for yourselves without money. Put your neck under her yoke and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. Now that's, those are words from the 2nd century BC, a couple hundred years before Jesus says what he says. So can you, can you hear Jesus picking up the verbiage of the people around him? That they were familiar with this saying. And he says, take up my yoke. It's my yoke that does this in your life. So I want to make sure you catch two things here because depending on if you've ever been taught through this verse, the the yoking of the oxen is the common emphasis that most folks who have read this verse, that's what they get around. They usually remember that the most is that we're going to be yoked together with Jesus and there's some great illustration there. There's some pulling. There's some mission that we're on together. There's a lot of good stuff here, but there's two dimensions of this word. There's the harnessing of the oxen and there's the coming under the rule of another. Both of those are in this phrase. But let me just pull us back through some history here and then make this real for us today. right? Question, what kind of yokes were there then? And what kind of yokes are there now? Right? Back then, people, people came under something. Remember, Jesus is using this phrase in the sense that what you come under can become laborious and a burden to you. And that makes it kind of weird because then Jesus is going to invite us to his yoke. So you've got you to listen carefully. You've got to pull some theology into this verse. And that's what we'll try to do here today. Grant Osborne, in his commentary on Matthew, he says, The two participles, right, that those who labor and are heavy laden... They refer to the troubled and beaten down of this world. At one level, it speaks to those forced to carry the burden or yoke of the law with all its regulations. On another level, it's all who are burdened with life's afflictions. So these people are experiencing not only the weariness of trying to maintain all the scribal requirements... But also fighting the struggles and anxieties of daily life. Now I got to be honest, most of the times I've heard somebody preach from this passage, the yoke is typically about the oxen and the sense of burden in this passage is about what the Pharisees have done to people. And, and, and I think all that's true. I, I just think when you get away from Jerusalem and you get into other settings and, you, and this verse is applied to the Greco-Roman world and not to the Jewish world, it's going to take on other nuances, which I think Grant Osborne catches here. It's not just the yoke of religion and its weight that becomes a burden to us. It's just the yoke of doing life in a fallen world carries its own burdens in our lives and I think we want to pay attention to both of those things because we could be here this morning worn out by either one and just under the weight of a sense that that life is just hard it's just hard and I don't feel like there's enough of me to to meet the demands and I just feel like I'm gonna get up on Monday I'm gonna try it again and do it again but it's just exhausting I'm just worn out Right? And then some people are worn out and slide off into something that feels depressing. Some people are worn out and they're just angry and irritable. But we're just doing life in this worn out condition. But I want to highlight these two things. I'm going to pick on both of them. The yoke on the one hand of the religious machine. And on the other hand, the yoke of just doing life. Both of those can be a yoke that becomes an exhausting, laborious Now you remember this yoke of the religious machine? Uh, Jesus spent a lot of his time and effort railing against this machine. There was an established setting where the practices of religion in people's lives were set in place. Those practices can be set in place in people's lives in a healthy way and in an unhealthy way. All right, so before you want to throw away all the practices associated with religion, just be aware that those things can be in these settings in a healthy way and they can be there in an unhealthy way. Well, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes were the spokesperson for how they're there in an unhealthy way. Now listen, until Jesus comes along and picks a fight with the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, they would not have been a, a dark cloud group, right? Jesus installs a dark cloud over them. Jesus takes this group that was the ultimate in religion. These guys were the guys. They were leading the way. They were the ones that you went to if you wanted to figure out how to be right with God. What is it like to be right with God? Look at those guys. They're right with God. They were the models for this. It's not until Jesus comes along and says, those guys are a problem. So it's not as though Jesus shows up and everybody thought the Pharisees and the scribes were a problem. No, the average person thought they were the ones doing it right. They're the ones who got it right. So you would have respected these guys. And when I say the machine, that's the best word I could come up with. Because the machine has these mechanisms in place that you get introduced to you that are about what you have to do, your efforts, your taking up tools, your activity. The emphasis gets on you. What you have to do to make yourself feel right with God. The Pharisees were all over that. They were tool manufacturers. They were big on creating one thing after another that if you'll do this and and you'll do this, and you'll do this and you'll do this, and you'll do that and you'll you'll do this as well. And they just had lists and lists and activity after activity that we're leading you to believe that in order to be right with God, for God to be on your side, for God to be for you, actively with you, you are going to have to do all this machinery. All these activities sat on you. And if you are going to ever have a hope that you were right with God at any moment in your life, you had a lot of work to do. Now, that was the first century, and I'm going to give you a passage here in just a second, but... When you move past the first century, can I I tell you the, the religious machine moves on? The religious machine is alive and well today. Mechanisms created by men that we pick up and use them in an attempt to be right with God. That's the religious machine. Islam is a massive religious machine. Islam introduces the world hundreds of years after Christianity is when Islam comes along. And Muhammad introduces the world to all that you must do in order for you to be right with Allah. You're going to say, Islam is not about featuring what Allah would do to make you right with him. Is it? If you studied Islam at all, you would know the emphasis is featuring what you. When you get around it, you walk away with a sense of, what do I need to do? Listen, this doesn't go away, and it doesn't just get contained there, right? I, I grew up Catholic here in the city of New Orleans. So I knew more growing up about what I needed to do. I felt the weight and the responsibility of what I needed to do That was what was featured, and it produced massive amounts of guilt, effort, because you just never felt like you were doing enough, and you knew you had a bad rap sheet to start with, at least I did, I don't know how you did, but I I did have a bad rap sheet, and there was this, uh, this machine available to me. That if I did this, then this could happen. And if I did this, then this could happen. It it all got led by me. I I had to put the coins in. I I had to make some kind of deposit. And this just instilled in any of us the the sense that the weight of this sits on me. It's a burden. Now, like I mentioned in your outline there, there's this thing called the Christian hybrid version of this. That you can be sitting in this church today. And you'd be listening to everything that has a do next to it. Now that's why I highlighted the fact that in this verse, there's some doing. Be careful what you do with your doing. Because if you do wrong with your doing, being a part of this church will become quite a burden for you. And you will labor underneath it as well. So, so be careful. There's a religious machine out there. And this religious machine shows up. In the first century. Acts chapter 15. I just want you to see this verse. I tried to make it clear. Sticking little cartoon images there for you. Acts chapter 15 verse 1. I remember where this is. Right where we are in history. Here, Uh, Jesus has died. Buried. Resurrected. And now the disciples are going into all the world. And so they have begun to bring this gospel. The announcement of what Jesus Christ did on behalf of man. To reconcile man to God. It's what he did. That's where we're going. And, And then when this message starts to take root, there are some people who are used to the machine. And they don't hear the machine running in this message. This sounds like it's featuring what God does for us. It doesn't sound like the machinery I'm used to that's featuring what I do for God. And so they come along and they've got some comments to make. And and there's going to be a meeting in Jerusalem to try and figure out what do we do. This This is a problem in the church world today. So this is first century after Jesus has ascended to heaven. Acts 15 verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Look at these words. Unless you. You see the feature word in this first section here? The feature word is you it's what you need to pick the machine up it's about you unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses well at least they're going to use the Bible a little bit in what they want you to do at least it's going to be related to something Moses a Bible character and things he taught us Unless you are circumcised according to the law. Or according to Moses. You cannot be saved. Saved. That's a big word. It's an important word. It's a feature word in scripture. You cannot be right with God. See being saved is about being right with God. And according to this. Unless you do this, you cannot be right with God. Verse 5. Some believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. These are people that were in the church. That were contributing these ideas. They just weren't comfortable with the this shift of emphasis. They wanted to keep the emphasis on what you do. It's about what you do. Here's what you need to do. Scandal. There's people teaching. They're de emphasizing what you need to do. That's what's taking place here. Verse 6 The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, You guys know that was probably an ugly meeting right there. You guys know that sometimes Christians get together and have ugly meetings. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart. Now where's the emphasis now? God who, All no, right? we're not talking about you here, we're talking about God God who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us right, this is now now you're just watching God on the move, God chose to bless the Gentiles it wasn't the machine, it wasn't them taking up the machine, it was God choosing to take the gospel to the Gentiles, gave them the Holy Spirit. They didn't pull some arms, they didn't pull some levers, they didn't deposit some coins. God gave them the Holy Spirit. He didn't hold out until they got their act together, did some stuff that looked nice and tidy and religious in enough of a way, and now you get the Holy Spirit. No, no, God gave it to them. Verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them. Having cleansed their hearts. Who cleansed their hearts? Did they cleanse their hearts? Right? Who's this about? Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Welcome to the machine. These people came to church and got a yoke put on them that they had to carry. Listen, they were, they were Gentiles. Gentiles with very little rules anywhere in their lives, right? You guys remember the Corinthians? There just wasn't a lot of religious tradition going on in these guys. So these guys feel like, oh, well, we need to install some. You need to be doing all the things that we've always done. And here you come in and that's what they imposed on them. And these disciples call that you are placing a yoke on the neck of these disciples. But, this is a contrast in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. But we believe. You're placing a yoke. You're giving them something to do in order to accomplish getting right with God. But we believe, by contrast, not that, but this. We believe we're going to be right with God by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you understand, this is the yoke Jesus invites you to get under. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take on you the yoke of the worthy accomplishments and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not take on yourself the yoke of trying to create, trying to do enough trying to satisfy the righteousness of God, trying to live in such a way that you actually measure up and you're good enough and you somehow would fit into heaven and everybody would let you fit into heaven because you're just like them. You finally figured out a way to be just like them. No, no, no. That's the yoke Jesus wants you to get rid of. He wants you to take on the yoke of what he did and accomplished for you. But we believe, right? This is the context of this. You're placing a yoke on their necks. No, but we don't believe in that yoke. But we do believe in a yoke. It's the yoke of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what these guys are attacking here And it's what Jesus was after when he stares out at the laboring of our lives. And in this context, a lot of people are religiously laboring in their lives, right? So let me, let me, let me pull this close to home for us, right? And I'm going to take, I'm not going to say I'm going to take quite a risk. But this is not going to sit right with a number of you. And that's okay, if it upsets you really bad, you're welcome to come ask me further about it. But it might just be good food for thought, right? And on the one hand, I'm going to sound like I stopped believing things that I used to believe. Right? I'm going to pull a Charles Spurgeon on you. If you ever read a number of Charles Spurgeon's messages, you might think Charles was bipolar, Because on one moment, he could preach in a category that gave all this weight over here. And then he'd preach in another category. It's like, Charles, you sounded like you moved the weight over here. Well, I'm going to kind of do that today. Because sometimes I think we need to see things in such a way that that they're actually helpfully sticking out. So I'm going to read some stuff carefully. I'll put this in your outline. There are ways... That those in the religious machine can make human effort feel more important than God's grace. And that could happen here. That could happen as we fellowship with one another. That could happen with a sermon illustration that stuck out really far because it was unique and captured my attention. That could happen in your small group. We in the religious machine can make human effort feel more important than God's grace. Right? So question for you. How many have ever felt like the world of the church is a burden? Being involved in the church it's, it can be a burden. It can be hard. It can be hard to be a part of this church. I know some of you feel that way because some of you have told me that. I'm not sure if you're aware that there would be people sitting here who feel like, you know, being a part of church, it's just hard. It's hard. Now, I'm not going to try and unpack all the reasons that that might be, but I just, in this context, I just want to stick some food for thought. right. Wrote this in your outline. We come into the church community, right? these Gentiles did that in the first century, from a place in the world with its own brand of moral chaos or anarchy and self-created boundaries where most people don't care much about what you do or don't do. Uh, unless you mess with their stuff, unless you're personally related to them, going to make them look bad, most people don't care what you do. They don't have an opinion about what you're doing, whether it's right or wrong. Or it needs to be tweaked 15 degrees in this direction. Or they caught you saying something, but you used your verbiage and your lingo just a little bit off. So now they're going to adjust you. Most people that you relate to, they don't care about what you're doing with your life. But have you noticed when you come to the church, all of a sudden people care? You care, right? You've been taught to care. You've been taught from the pulpit to care. I try to encourage you to care. But that can take on some weird stuff. Because the Gentile coming in off the street, he doesn't have your vocabulary. He doesn't have your history. He doesn't get what you're saying. He just knows you think he's dressed wrong. That's all he knows. You've given him something to do that he doesn't know where to put it, what to do with it, but sounds really, really important. Because of the way it's being brought up. You come into the church. And you slowly begin to bump into a community. That has specific ideas. And convictions. And ways of doing lots of different things in our lives. Those things can feel like practices. Or they can feel like requirements. You can come into this setting, and there's a way to do stuff. Stuff that matters to us. There's a way to do relationships. There's a way to be married. There's a way to do money. There's a way to do entertainment. There's a way to do clothing. There's a way to breastfeed your children. Some of y'all get that. And you can come into the church, by the way, you know, if you're not doing that, there's a way to be a stay-at-home mom. Let me see if I can get a little warmer to trouble. There's a way to do all kinds of things in life. What happens when those ways, they they start feeling like requirements to us? This is what you're required to do as well, if you want to. Be right with God. Oh, listen, for the Pharisees, we, we douse them in gasoline and set them on fire in a second, right? Can you believe they picked up circumcision and were imposing that on these people? Well, can you believe some of the things that we might be imposing on people? We just don't have circumcision running around in our background. We got other stuff that we can turn around and make it feel like if you don't do that part of your life this way, there's no way that the, the grace of God can be active in your world. There's no way. And I wonder if we won't have our own moment where we would be told we have put a yoke on people by our convictions that we have elevated to a place that feels like a requirement. Your outline, wrote, When we turn Christianity into something that we must achieve, we increase the likelihood that it will begin to feel like a burden. When it starts to feel like, unless you, it is necessary, right? That's the language in Acts. When it starts to feel that kind of a way, then it starts to feel like a burden. It's a weight because it becomes about you. And what you are doing to make your life become something. And to make God be on your side and do anything favorable for you in the future. You heard of HPV? Not the HPV you're thinking of right now, but the human performance virus. Without recognizing it, many of us can install a virus in the programming of our Christianity. It's a virus that makes our lives first and foremost dependent on us. On how our actions dictate and dominate God's actions. Oh, God's going to do stuff, but the emphasis for us and the weightiness for us is on our actions. What are we going to do so God can do what he's going to do? And we do this and it sneaks up on us and, and it gets revealed in some ways, right? Uh, If you're prone to when, when life gets difficult, hard, takes a bad turn, has a tragedy in it. If you're one of those people who stops and presses the rewind button to look back at your life to figure out what did I do that made that happen. If that's in you, then you've got a human performance virus problem. You think somehow God can't show up in your life and invade your life with his grace because when you press the rewind, you were stupid right here, rebellious right here, and just didn't even know better right here. So, I mean, listen, this is is a virus. It is all over the place. I I don't know how many people I've met with through the years that when life goes bad, the first thing they want to survey is what did I do? What did I do? Tragedies come. What did I do? What did I not do? Right? Parents are great in this category, aren't we? Aren't we just wonderful, right? We watch something happen in our kids' lives. What did we do? What did we not do? Well, It's all about you. Right? What a burden! Can you imagine? You're going to walk around for the rest of your life. It's all on you, baby. Oh, minimize the grace of God it's all about you all oh, the grace of God can't even overcome that look what you did oh, worse than what you did look what you failed to do right for everybody here who's like well yeah I don't, I don't have any resume background here that my kids could file charges on me Ah, uh, no probably not because there's not a charge for failing to do something you failed to do something. You didn't show up enough. You weren't influential enough. You weren't sacrificial enough. There's always a falling short of you didn't do enough for somebody. And this becomes an unbearable weight that sits on our lives. And if, if you don't have a HPV problem looking backwards, do you have one looking forward? Do you have the idea that, that God's just waiting You know, your whole future is in the wings just waiting to unfold. And, you know, it could be good if, if you would just, whatever, get your prayer life together. Read your Bible more. Do something more Christian than what you're doing. If you just do your part, well, then you could start expecting that God would show up and do his part in your future. Listen, if that's floating around inside of you, you've got a yoke on your neck that's really, really hard to carry. Now listen, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like what we do doesn't matter. You guys have listened to enough messages from this pulpit to know what we do matters. What we do matters. Jesus actually is giving us something to do in this passage. But there's a difference between knowing that what we do matters and overdoing it in that category. And and we might need to be wise about that. I think I'll put this in your outline. For some today, we have made our actions to matter at such a level that God can't be God unless we pull off not being fallen creatures in a fallen world. When I can finally stop being a fallen person, damaged, limited, needing a glorified body, needing for what God prepares for us in the future. If I can't act like that doesn't exist, if I can't overcome the trials and difficulty, if I can't do that, well then there's no way God can be God next. God's just waiting for me to get it together. Listen, that is such a man Centered theology. When you just go back and read the Bible, is that what you find? Adam, where are you? You remember that day? Does anybody think Adam turns around and says, I was looking for you. Like he had a conversation with Eve and said, oh, babe, if we're going to turn this thing around, we need to go find God. (laughs) The dude is hiding. The dude's on his own. The dude's not looking for God. It's the insistence of the grace of God that asks that question. Adam, I'm looking for you, man. Where are you? You know, the only reason why you and I still remember a guy named Abraham is because one day there was this idol worshiper who lived in the land of Ur. Who began to cry out to the one true living God. And he prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted for years and years and years. And finally God said, okay, Abraham, you're finally serious about me. I'm going to show up. Anybody find that in the Bible? No, what you find in the Bible is that Abraham has a really bad resume. He was an idol worshiper, which means all of his devotion went to the wrong God, false gods, humanly created gods. And God shows up in his world and says, boy, do I have a plan for you. I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to blow your mind. Can you count the stars, Abraham? And God comes and he shows up with a plan. It's not like he's like, um, that one really? All right, I have no idea what I'm doing with you, but let's see how you do. Let's see how you do. If you kind of get it together here, maybe we'll come up with something. No, God shows up to lavish his grace on this man. Remember those folks that God sent a rescue party in Egypt to get? All right, just if you read your Bible carefully, these are not, the Bible's not flattering about us. You know, that's a kind of helpful thing to know. You know, and when you live in a world that feels like, hey, please don't say anything bad about me. You know, if you were in the Bible, it would, it would pull, you know, your pants down and everybody would see your dirty underwear. <laughs> right, so you have these people, remember? These people who are crying out to God. Exodus chapter 3, they're crying out to God. Oh, the mercy. Oh, they're crying out to God. Crying out to God. Okay, you know what's in these people's hearts? Idolatry. They've been in Egypt for a few hundred years and they're just like the Egyptians. They serve the same gods. They have the same affections for the same gods. And God does what? Says, I ain't going to get those people. Choose them to be my... Forget it. No, no. God sends Moses to go and rescue those people. And they come to Mount Sinai and by grace they receive a revelation of what God is like in the law. And if you want to know what they're like... Uh, it only took a, few, a couple of months. Why well, didn't even take that long. They grumbled along the way because they wouldn't trust this God. And then the first chance they get to pull out their old gods, they do. And they build a golden calf. And they turn away from God. And so when you read the Bible, is the Bible this God who's sitting around waiting for men to get it together so that he can show up and be God for us? That, that, that's not the God who is here in Scripture. When it comes to the massive contributions that you and I are making to help God be God on our behalf, does that sound stupid? Does anybody think you actually had a day last week where you made a massive contribution? Can I I give you some scale here? Can you you look at this with me? You guys, I know it was last, this past week, the uh, anniversary of the pale blue dot. Did you guys come across this from NASA? Is this going to work? Here we go. All right, so if we start on the left here, we recognize Earth, right, all the way up the top there. All right, so that's, that's not too far from Earth, right? I just want you to, to find you on Earth right now. And right, so you are about to make a massive contribution to the God of the universe, okay? From frame number one, uh, I can't even do it from that frame, right? But then you just move to Saturn, which I forget how far Saturn is, and that little blue dot way off in the distance, that's from a European spacecraft that took this picture. That little blue dot is where you and I live. A number of years ago, this picture over here to the right was taken by Voyager 1 over 2 billion miles from Earth. Still in God's creation, traveling, and looking back. Can you, can you find yourself in that picture? Can you imagine? You're going to make a massive contribution to God being on your side. Really? Does this put things into perspective a little bit? Yes. That if the God of the universe doesn't show up in my little bitty world... For reasons that exist inside of him in the grace of God. There's nothing I'm going to do to get this God on my side. So whether you're circumcised or not, whether you do your life in this category this way or that way, how do these things get so big? You understand some of you maybe have been around long enough, you you went to church where the thing that was featured in the church was whether or not women wore makeup or not. It's like when you walked in, you know, you couldn't be in too many meetings before you realized, oh, that's an issue. Oh, that's an issue. And suddenly people feel like, hey, you want God to show up in your world? You want God to be on your side? You're going to have to do something about that fiery lipstick, sister. It's like, <laughs> really? That's, that's how that works. <laughs> this, this God is waiting for me to change lipstick color (laughs) for him to show up in my life? Really? Uh, No, we believe in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. How is Jesus' yoke easy and his burden light? Well, because it releases us from this kind of stuff. And does that matter? None of that stuff matters? Well, can, can I put it in a different category of matter? Can we get it out of a matters? Matters! You change your lipstick. The God of the universe will just find his way to your little blue planet and find you at a particular moment. And then he'll show up in your life because you've got new lipstick color. This is so upside down because it's so man-centered. It, it, it depicts a God who doesn't get to be God. Unless we can crank him up and make him God. That's a burden. Good luck with that one. You will wear yourself out. That's what the religious machine does. It wears us out. But unless you want to blame everything on the religious machine. uh, The yoke of doing life will wear you out too. This is a massive category for us today. Go back to Grant Osborne. He says on another level it's. All who are burdened with life's afflictions. He goes on and says, They are fighting the struggles and anxieties of daily life. Which, quite honestly, I think this one's a more lively category for most of us here today. Remember, we don't live in Jerusalem. Our culture barely cares about morality. Barely. It's taught us to barely care about it, too. So, we're probably not laboring underneath a lot of the stuff that some other generations and cultures have labored under. We've got more going on in these categories, right? And Jesus speaks to this, right? He wants wants you to come to him and let him take that yoke as well, right? Places like Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious, Jesus said, saying, What shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Right? This is the yoke of our own anxieties. As you and I do life, there's this anxiousness of life that sits on us about how do I create my future? How do how do I get a good future? How do I make my life work? Well, that's, that's the same problem. You, you are under the yoke of you being the person who's going to create your world for you. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come to my father. Take that yoke off of you. and Take my yoke on you. James 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that our passions are at war within us? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I mean, what is this? I'm going to call it the yoke of conflict, right? And it's a burden that sits on us because we feel the weight that we've got to make sure and get our way. I've got to get my way in this. I've got to win. I've got to look out for my own interest. And so I'm holding my ground and the person I'm in conflict is holding their ground because we're fighting to make sure we're going to have a good life in the future. We're under the burden of that and it creates conflicts and whatever you were burdened with before the conflict now is another burden and the weight of life gets even heavier. Right? You already had troubles. right? How many of you guys recognize that? You had troubles and then you had conflict and it's like piling another brick on top of the problem you already had. Now, now you're on the outs with the people that you were trying to work through the problem with. Well, that's a yoke. Lamentations 1 it says, my transgressions were bound into a yoke. My transgressions, right? By blowing God off, do things my own way. They were bound into a yoke by his hand. They were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. You know when God took actions like that in the Old Testament and still when he does it today? Do you understand why he does that? Right, it, it's that we would look away from ourselves to him. It's like, you know, when, when God gives you what you want, it's God's way of saying, okay, you'll be back. You want that? I mean, you won't seem to stop wanting that. You want that? Here you go. Okay, all right, we'll have it. You'll be back. He gives it to you so that you will be back. He lets the yoke of your own transgression sit on you. Right, that first act does say... God put them there. The same God who subjected all of creation to futility in the hope that we would turn to Him. Right, we visited the Corinthians. I won't go into the details of those guys. Right, they created burdens for their lives. They had conflicts. They had problems. They had divisions among them. It was competition. They looked for status. All that stuff is a yoke. If if any of that's true in our lives in these categories, every day of our life is a labor to improve our status, to get amongst the right people, to work the crowd, to manipulate life because I need my life to become something and the burden's all on me. So listen, life can get pretty heavy, can't it? right, 21st century life is wearing people out. Exhaustedly wearing people out, and, and I know some of that 's because there's a, the religious machine as part of that, but c- quite honestly, people are, are being worn out by a world that features you know the old fomo phrase, the fear of missing out there 's so much i 've got to be doing there's so much i 've got to pursue i 've got to try that i 've got to go there i 've got to live this i 've got to have i 've got to have something new i 've got to make room for that. I, I need a gazillion people, not a few people. I just need, I need, I need, I need. It just keep adding and adding and adding to life. Move on to something. Get something else new. Get something else. That's laborious. At some point, just doing life that way wears us out. James K. Smith wrote a book called On the Road with St. Augustine. That on the road imagery is, is, is people doing life and kind of like they picked up that, that theme when people used to get on Route 66 and go find their life out west, you know, and they they get in their car and they drive west. I'm getting out of here. Getting out of this situation and I'm going to go find. Like, so you're on this quest for life. That's kind of the theme of the book. But he's doing that with St. Augustine. He says this, very helpful. He says, we hit the road in the hope of finding what we're looking for, or at least sufficiently distracting ourselves from the hungers and haunting absences that propelled our departure in the first place. And the road doesn't disappoint. It offers an unending ribbon of sights and stop-offs whose flashing billboards promise exactly what you're looking for. Happiness, satisfaction, joy. Indeed, the road has a strange way of showing what looks like a destination in the distance that when you get there, points to another destination beyond it. So just when you think friendship, or wealth, or a family... Or influence was your ultimate destination. You hang out there for a while and the place starts to dim. Anybody been there? What once held your fascination, even for a time, seemed like it was your reason to live, doesn't do it for you anymore. You won't admit to yourself for a long while. After all, you sent out all those celebratory announcements about your new existential home. You effectively told everybody you'd arrived. You believed it yourself. But at some point, you'll finally be honest with yourself about the disappointment. And eventually that disappointment becomes disdain. And you can't wait to get away. Fortunately, just as you start to look around, you see the promise of a new destination down the road. Something new. Do you wonder why we're so desperate for something new? Because this spot's gone dim. This spot's worn out. I I, I chewed all the flavor out of that piece of gum. I need a new one now. And no matter how many packs of gum you've gone through, there's always the hope of a new piece. I mean, when when do we stop being this way, right? Right? That's laborious. All right, so question when I get to this last thought here. What does Jesus tell us to do with all these yokes? There's the religious machine yokes. There's the yokes of life yokes. What does Jesus say? Come to me and I'll eliminate every yoke. Come to me and get rid of every yoke that exists. Does Jesus invite you to a yokeless reality? Careful what you read in that passage. Would you read that passage and say Jesus Christ is anti-yokes? Would you say that? You can't, can you? Because he actually says, "Come to me and take up my yoke." Jesus doesn't hate yokes; he just hates the wrong yokes. He's not here to eliminate them. He wants to exchange our yokes. Putting your eye on there, today's culture features. Yokelessness. Literally, this is a phrase that's popular today. Don't put that on me. How many of y'all have heard that? Don't put that on me. You know, that's like, hey, you you just crossed the line and did the ultimate wrong thing. Don't put that expectation, don't put that idea, don't put that tradition, don't put that on me. Don't place me under the obligation of anything except what I create for myself. That's the mantra. In every advertisement. In every news discussion. We don't want to be under anybody's obligation. We don't want to take responsibility for anything. That we don't want to take responsibility for. And you're wrong to expect that from me. And that's the world that we're living in. This makes for really fun partnerships. I don't know if you've noticed that. That marriage is in the hardest place. I think I can ever imagine it's ever been. Because when my world becomes. Don't put that on me. Don't give me your needs. Don't put your slow pace. Don't, don't put the struggles you have. Don't put any of that on me. I, you're a certain way and I don't want to deal with that. Don't put that on me. Right? When that's the world I'm creating and I'm living in and I'm expecting you to validate my world over your world, I'm expecting you to drop everything about you and just be about me and about what I want and validate what I want and support what I want and encourage what I want. When that becomes marriage, it's a bad day. It's a very bad day. And you want to know why Washington, D.C. looks the way it does? Because there is no partnership when a culture starts to believe that what I want, what I want, is the only thing that matters. There's no way. These parties can come together and do anything together because the wiring of our culture over the last 20 to 40 years has been, it's all about you. You don't need to make this work for anybody else. So if you're looking for a turnaround anytime soon, it ain't coming. (laughs) We have a strange sense of freedom. Let me give you this last thought about freedom. This is also from... James Smith's book, here's how we view freedom today. He says, freedom is the right to be titillated, entertained, absorbed, all on one's own terms. Freedom is freedom from, and a way to get from, to leave. This notion of freedom is the only freedom we know now. Freedom as self-determination. The freedom to decide what is my own good is enshrined in Justice Anthony Kennedy's majority opinion in Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. This is what he said. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. This is from a Supreme Court Justice. That works... Justice, if, the, if there's just one person left on the planet that you're telling that to. But if there's two, that doesn't work anymore. Because that person may not want to live by that person's preferences and ideas. This is, I'm sorry, this is just stupid. Even if I didn't believe in God, this is stupid. Freedom... Means, quote, hands off, I've got this. I know what I want. I'll know I'm free when I get to decide what's good for me. When every choice is a blank check of opportunity and possibility. In fact, we call such freedom authenticity. It's a new buzzword these days. Authenticity is realizing some possibility on my own terms. It doesn't matter what you choose. What matters is that you choose. Freedom is getting to make up what counts as the good for yourself. You get to self-determine. You get to make up whatever is good for you. Be be careful that you don't come to Christianity with this idea that hippie Jesus wants to kick off all yokes and just turn you loose, man. You know, that's the one thing. You know, I'm looking for a church where just, you know, Jesus just says, like, hey, 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 chill, man. Just do whatever. You know that that Old Testament cranky God? He's chill, man. He's chilled out a lot. He's just mellowed with age. And he's not into all that stuff anymore. You just come. Come to me. There's a recliner. Come to me. Don't do anything. No, you don't have to learn anything. And you don't have to take any yokes. I'm anti-yoke, man. Get the yokes off of you. Just do whatever. you understand that's not Jesus and it would be the most unloving thing Jesus could ever do in your life. It would be him standing and saying, you know, when I originally said don't eat of that tree, eat of the tree. You don't need God. Do whatever you want. Did that turn out well? Can you remember that every ounce of your confusion and your pain and your suffering came from eating that tree? It came from freedom from God. God didn't design you for that kind of freedom. He designed you for himself. I I need to get under the yoke of Jesus Christ. Here's a crazy idea, a couple of images here for you. What it look like for a train to be really free. Right? when you're a kid, you, you learn from little choo-choo train stories, right? What about the train that driving along the tracks, just lifting up its eyes as it passes through the Tuscan countryside of Italy? It sees this wonderful villa, and it just but the track goes this way, and the ch- little choo-choo train wants to be over there. I want to go over there. I want to I want to be set free from these rails. I want to go over there. I mean, you know, going over there is not a good idea for Mr. Train. Let me show you why it's not a good idea for Mr. Train. The Khanna Rail Disaster occurred on November 26, 1998, near Khanna, India's Northern Railway in Punjab. when the Calcutta-bound Express collided with six derailed coaches which were lying in its path. At least 212 people were killed. Do you see that image there? That's what free trains look like. That other image as well, New Delhi. At least 118 people were killed and around 200 injured when 14 coaches of the Indoor Express derailed near the city of Kanpur. They derailed, came off the rails. But who wants their whole life to be lived chasing a rail? That's it. You just get to go where the rail goes. I want to be free of that. Uh, I don't think you know what you're asking for. I want to jump the rail. Oh, that's about two and a half seconds of freedom, followed by massive destruction. You sure you want that? How long does two and a half seconds last, right? I mean, that's our question. (laughs) Derailed from the constraints of the rail, free to pursue their own designs on life. Turns out that there's a kind of freedom that's not good not for you or for the others around you because interesting when some of those cars decide we don't want to be on these tracks we want to be on those tracks they go headlong into a collision that destroys themselves and others how many guys recognize that's not a train story that's a human story When you decide you don't want to run on the tracks that the God of the universe wants you to run on, you're going to run on a different set of tracks and you insist on that. Can I just tell you, you're going to blow yourself up and there will be casualties as well. You'll blow others up as well. This is the world we live in. Trains are created things. They don't self-generate or self-define. They live their greatest existence when they fulfill their creator's design for them. I believe in engineers. Most of you guys know I was an engineer. I I don't like when my kids open the cereal box wrong. Because there was an engineer who designed how that's supposed to go back together. So when they rip it open wrong, it's like, ugh. Trains are designed. There's an engineer who thought through what needed to be a certain way in order for this train to to, to perform. to, To be able to go fast and pull things and fulfill its purpose. It doesn't have a different purpose than what it's been assigned. You and I have an engineer, a master engineer, who designed this world that we live in. He created us. He created us a particular way. I don't think this has gotten your outline. It says, we are creatures who have been created, designed, and purposed by and for the creator. The very best thing we could do for ourselves is to come under the yoke of our creator. To accept his purpose and to yield to his ways and wisdom to fulfill his purpose and plans. Eric, you can come back up. Remember, we started this journey through this passage with Jesus staring into the story of humanity. And what was going off everywhere was the loud alarm sounds of burdens, labors, weariness broken life that's that's the sound that came from the crowd as Jesus looked into their lives and with compassion he had come and with an invitation he called to them come come to me take my yoke on you and learn take my yoke what does that mean take my yoke Yeah, good image. Oxen pulling next to each other. Maybe Jesus come alongside issues in your life. You know? but you know, In our culture, what we do with that is a problem. Because you know, basically we had a plan. We're going to invite Jesus to get on board with our plan. And he can team up with me. And I'll pull hard and he'll pull hard. And together we'll get everything I ever wanted. Okay, this word means to come under the subjection of another. The king of the universe who created everything calls on us to find rest. And the only way I'm going to do that is to find the tracks that I'm called to run on, to live in the purpose that God created me to live in, to come under his authority. So, you know, whatever it is that you're hoping for, you're you laboring under your future. You're trying to figure out what you're going to be, what you're going to do, how to be safe in the future, how to have a good life. What to do in eternity. You're laboring underneath all that. Jesus looks right at those labors. And he says come to me. And take my yoke on you. So this morning. You have this massive decision in front of you. About whether or not you want to come under the yoke. Of Jesus Christ. Or whether you want to be the little train. Who could. Do whatever the heck I want. Listen, in an amazing way, freedom means staying on the track. It doesn't, can I mock this? Can I say something really insulting right now? Listen, living outside of the purpose of God, that's not freedom. It's a train wreck. It will destroy you. You'll have a fleeting moment of pleasure as, as the track goes behind you and you're in the air for a second, for a brief second. And then you're going to hit stuff and do a roll and twist and self-destruct and everything that was around that's going to get wrecked too. If that's your definition for freedom, but nobody really wants that. The God of the universe says, if you want to live in freedom, you're going to have to be underneath me. Living in the purpose that I give you. So that's the question for every one of us here today. If your soul wants to find rest, are you willing to deliver your soul over to Christ and surrender it to him and put it underneath him? Right? Jesus called me, follow me. He's like the lead engine, follow me. Right? Be, be part of what I'm doing. And every one of us here, right? some of us maybe don't even know Christ yet that's the question for you are you willing to surrender everything about you to christ to have the life that he plans for you so that you can have rest for the rest of your life knowing god is with me god is for me god is graciously gonna go with me i don't don't have to be good enough i don't have to make it all happen myself god is gonna go with me his yoke is easy and his burden is light listen, maybe some of us made that decision a long time ago, but we're here this morning and it's like, um I jumped the tracks because I wanted something that I wanted and I did not really care what God wanted Now, the great thing is this God that you stare at on that little blue planet this God comes after you he shows up at train wreck sites to put your life back together and to quote, get you back on track. And he's here this morning to do that. Let's stand up together. when you look into our lives Lord I know you do I know you look into every one of our lives you find us at rest you find us experiencing joy that's unspeakable peace that passes understanding courage to face the day trust and hope for our future well that's what a rested soul has inside of it Lord do you look and you find trouble and unrest striving work pressing anxious trying to manipulate our circumstances or people crossing our fingers Because we've built a world that depends on us. On what we do for us. But I know there are some here this morning who are just worn out with that life. So Father, you call out to us. You call to us. Come to me. Come to me. God, I thank you for inviting us to come with all the messes that we have Jew and Gentile messes self-righteousness and immorality Lord you invite us to come You gaze at our little bitty lives on this little blue planet and yet you know every hair on our heads and every tear we've cried so God this morning I, I pray for folks that are here this morning Lord Pray for each of us. But particularly, Lord, for those who feel like they're, they're wrestling against you. For those who feel like they're not in a posture where their life is surrendered, where they have taken their life and given it over to you. Say, Lord, my hands are off. My future is yours. My life is yours. I surrender to you. Listen, from wherever you are this morning, can this morning be a significant morning for you? I want to invite you to do something that's massively significant. Yeah, I, I don't know if there are too many things I can remember doing and having done them multiple times sometimes in life. Then to come to the place where I stop wrestling and resisting against God, I just surrender. I just in faith, stand with my life and say, God, whatever it is you have, whatever you got for me tomorrow, I'm yours going where you're going. So I want to invite you to do this because this is a significant moment. This is a significant moment. If you are needing a fresh place to say, maybe for the first time in your life, to surrender your life to Christ, Or maybe you've done that before, but you find yourself in a place where you're resisting and and struggling with God. And this morning you're aware Jesus invites you to take up his yoke, surrender afresh to him. I want to invite you to do that. So if if you are staring at me right now, your head's bowed, whatever it is, and you want this morning to be February 16th, a morning of surrendering your life afresh to Christ, I, I want you to come forward. I want you to do something significant. I want you to get your own attention by not just keeping going through the motions but say, no, no, this this matters. I'm I'm actually giving away control of my life. This matters. This is the biggest document you could ever sign. This matters. So if that's you, can you come forward? Come up and just find a place to stand up here pray gonna pray for god to meet you in these coming seasons of life to help with his grace to put you back on track to lead you to take the burden off of your life that you've been feeling all the weight and pressure that's been on you to make the right decision to live the right life to fix everything to create a future This morning, Jesus would like to get you out of the business of being in control of your own life. How many of you guys would just like to declare bankruptcy officially? Say, God, I'm done. I'm done running things. I'm done being the boss. I'm done being in control and I'm done with the responsibility of where this goes. I surrender my life to you. Father, thank you that you invite and you speak, Lord. Your voice gets heard in the places of our hearts. So God, this morning, that you be personal with each person here to let them hear. You are the one appealing to them. You are calling them by name. You are saying, come to me. Come to me. With whatever burdens, whatever yoke you've been under, just come to me change your yoke from mine take my yoke on you as Eric leads us in this song if you still would like to come please come and let God meet with you solidifying your own sense of heart what God's doing in your heart today surrendering your life to him you'd like to come pray with any of these folks you're welcome to do that guys can I just encourage you this is kind of not a counseling moment as much as it is a turn the keys over surrender and trust moment so maybe each of the people that are coming to pray that would probably be the thing that God would want to have featured this morning just help folks to give their lives back and trust themselves to him you pray for us and let Eric's going to lead us and close us in this song. Lord, thank you for the invitation into our worlds that can feel so heavy and so discouraging. You come. You come with a burden that is light, a yoke that's easy. God, we want that yoke, Lord. We want to be looking to you every day, trusting you in a life that's got question marks all over the future it's got eternity waiting god we want to be yoked to you lord to go where you're going to have our lives submitted and surrendered to you so lord afresh this morning awaken in us the ability to turn our lives loose to not cling so tightly to make things happen take responsibility for everything that happens lord we turn our lives loose this morning we give back to you lord the life that really is fully yours God, from this day forward, we want to follow you, God. We surrender this morning to you.